This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. evening they've kept us waiting trust me we have been waiting all day for this announcement we promised we would go live when the announcement came through so here we are um we're all as you may be able to tell as some of us speak later on some of us are feeling a little bit under the weather it's not through popping a fusillade of champagne corks at the news of ian foster's appointment it is that you know the the climate that we're in um, some of us are struggling a little bit physically and some of us are under the weather. However, just 17 days have passed since Stephen Schumacher departed for Staffordshire. But after an extensive search yielding over 100 applicants, the interregnum and period of sede vacante is over. The white smoke is currently billowing out metaphorically from above Home Park and the bells of St Mary and St Boniface's Cathedral are tolling as Schumacher's successor has been chosen in the form of Ian Foster. The 47-year-old from, yes, you guessed it, Merseyside, joins Argyle as our new head coach. Having spent most of his playing career in the lower leagues, Foster spent three years at the start of his managerial career in Ireland at Galway United and Dundalk before returning this side of the Irish Sea to further his coaching career. A spell at Coventry was swiftly followed by joining forces with Paul Cook at Portsmouth, where alongside Liam Richardson, the trio formed that famous rivalry with Argyle as we went toe-to-toe for a number of seasons. Then in 2017, after helping Pompey get out of League Two, the FA came calling, thus enhancing Foster's reputation as a promising coach. Appointed to work alongside Steve Cooper and Mike Marsh, the under-17s, embarked on its most successful period, winning their respective World Cup, whilst also being runners-up and semi-finalists in successive Euros. Foster then continued to climb the ranks at the FA, progressing through the levels and boasting impressive numbers in the process. In the middle of this period at the FA, he was also appointed as assistant coach to Phil Neville with the England Lionesses. After leading England at the under-20s, or for the under-20s, in the 2023 World Cup in June last summer, where the side were knocked out in the round of 16 by Italy, Foster left the FA to join England legend Steven Gerrard as his assistant in the slightly warmer climates of Saudi Arabia at Al-Etifak. 
And that now brings us to the present day. And Foster is now a Janna as the head coach of the Green Army. Um, I'm delighted that it's not quite their bedtime for John Alsop, Sam Down and Ben, who have joined us at this very late hour to discuss Fozzie's appointment. Sam is in the building. Um, John, why don't you kick us off? Um, Ian Foster is our new man. Um, initial thoughts? My initial thought is I didn't realise that you lived in Aaron's house. He's let me stay over for the weekend. Okay, good. Um, for those who weren't on our previous page about Stephen Schumacher, I actually thought that that was Aaron's house, not, not just a stock um, backdrop for about uh, five minutes, which does not reflect very well on me or my judgment. Um, so with that, with that in mind... They don't, um, they don't have houses like that in Norwich, John. Go on. Get real. Hard on the people of Norwich. Uh, but yes, I... I um, yeah, I think I'm excited. I don't think I'm sort of completely, you know, overwhelmed and, and over the moon with it. Um, but I'm also not anywhere near as negative as a lot of the people who seem to be talking about this loudly on social media. Um, you know, as, as is always the case with these sorts of appointments, when someone steps into what is, you know, no disrespect to the League of Ireland, 10 or so years ago, essentially his first um, job in, in club management, certainly at this kind of level. Um you know, it's always a it's always a bit of a crapshoot, right? Like you could be getting the next Kira McKenna, or you could be getting the next insert example here of someone who managed for six games, got fired. Say, for, and... some, for some context, Foster managed in the League of Ireland in two thousand and nine and two thousand and eleven. Um, thus, if you do the quick maths, you can work out that was thirteen years ago. He was very early on in his coaching career. Um, right. So those who are judging him on that alone. Um, probably just need to look at the facts a little bit, don't they? Uh, yeah. Um, so I, all that time I was trying to think of a banter manager who's come from being a coach and then disappeared into obscurity after a terrible run. Does Matthew Etherington count, maybe? I mean, he's had a couple of jobs, but he has just been fired from Colchester, so I don't know. Um, but yes, so so the point is, of course, you know, it can, it can go either way. Um, or they could just be fine not pull up trees but also not be terrible it's just it's the full gamut of potential outcomes are available and obviously that would also be the case if we'd hired someone more established i think there are certain managers who you pretty much know what you're going to get but they're very few and far between i mean obviously someone like neil warnock or tony mowbray has been you know around the block so many times and has done such a, a similar job at most clubs that they've been to that you know you're probably looking at that being something that would happen again more likely than not but even someone like John Eustace who I think a lot of our fans seem to want instead of Foster obviously did a very good job at Birmingham but he's only really done that Birmingham job at this level so it's it's difficult to know even if if he would have come in and been, and been able to replicate that kind of form it's quite possible something about the circumstances at Birmingham versus the circumstances here might have made it um you know a very different proposition so yeah it is a, a completely blank slate um, and therefore it's a risk. There's no, there's no question about that. Um, I also think though, that this is, which I guess kind of contrary wise to saying it's a big risk, although both things can be true at once. I think it's probably the closest to a continuity appointment that we were able to do without literally appointing someone from in-house, which obviously this time after we did that with Shuey last time was, was not possible because the, the coaches, we had, no coach, we had no coaching staff left to do it this time. So 
exactly. Much like uh, Tally Ho on an average away game, we had no functioning coaches. So, um, <laughs> um, yes. Um, so, so obviously, yeah, Hughes went. Um, a couple of other coaches went as well. So, so that wasn't that that model wasn't going to happen again this time. So, obviously, it's not an internal appointment. When I say continuity, it is clearly someone who is going to be very well known to Neil Jusnip. Um, obviously, he works as we know within the England uh, sort of football setup uh, as did Foster for a number of years. Um, he's someone who you know clearly is being brought in very explicitly to play football in the same way. Um, as we have been playing Schumacher. And obviously, as we said, you know, maybe trying to console ourselves a little bit, but very truthfully, after Schumacher left, he's coming into a club that has a very, um, you know, rigid system in place with a director of football and with, you know, a very firm kind of mission-oriented, style-oriented roadmap of where we want to go. He's not coming in and being told, you know, the football club is your sort of fiefdom to run as you wish. So, you know, with that in mind, um, and the fact he knows Jusnip so well, I think he's coming into a fairly sort of circumscribed role um, in many respects. And, you know, you have to think that given that the club have got that kind of appointment right in the past to slot into that into that plan, that there's a good chance they've got it right this time as well. I mean, their track record to this point has been very good. So, yeah, it's obviously a risk because there isn't really any proof of concept to go on. But... Um, I also think that I trust the club to have got it right. And yeah, and, and the fact that obviously he does know Jusnip sort of makes it not like a total kind of total plunge into the dark. I think we can know roughly what we can expect football wise. Obviously, how successful it's going to be is the bit that's the risk and that we don't know yet. Um, I'm going to give the uh, public a little bit longer to wait for what they want, which is quite clearly looking at the comments coming in a bit of sound down analysis. So we'll keep them waiting. We'll keep them watching to boost the numbers. Ben, I mean, in the last, well, I mean, even in the last 48 hours, every man, his cat and his dog seems to have been linked um, with the role. We've had names flying at us left, right and centre, some believable, some left field and some downright outrageous names. Um, yeah. Is... Is some people's, um, I don't know, hostility isn't the word, but is some people's trepidation about this appointment perhaps because of the list of names that the bookmakers threw out at a very early stage, that people were so hung up on, oh, those are the people that we're going to be getting, it's going to be one of them because the bookmakers have got odds for them, and that now that the club have gone through their due diligence and found the man that they believe is the right one to take us forward, is that where people's perhaps perceived negativities coming from? I think possibly. I think that a lot of the names that were maybe linked initially weren't ever going to be realistic, but they put an idea in people's heads. You sort of, you know, you're talking about people like Gus Poyet and, um, you know, um, established what we call, you know, championship managers, managers which are known to be a, a safe pair of hands in the championship. They're not really the sort of targets Argyle can afford, you know, even like Nigel Pearson, I put this out at the time when people were floating names around in the early days. Nigel Pearson was on 27 grand a week at Bristol City. Then, and, you know, we don't even pay our players half of that, any of them. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the, the, the manager couldn't earn more than the players, potentially if they're the right person. But it's just not, you know, it's setting unrealistic expectations. I don't know if people may, may or, or would have seen any of the names on the list and, and fallen in love. But it does set a particular bar for what maybe expectations were among some people. And I said it on the um, 
the last pod well it's it twitter spaces um but it's obviously available as a pod now um the idea of a safe pair of championship hands isn't necessarily um what argyle need because we don't have a championship squad and a championship wage bill which is what those sort of managers perform with um you know they, they, those guys do their job um with that um with 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 those assets in place and without that there's no guarantee they'd do it with what with what argyle have um, much in the same way that Scott Parker was complaining about the quality of his squad when he got to the Premier League and saying, look, I can do a job, but I can't do it with with the assets that I have. Although, you know, Gary O'Neill went on to keep that squad up. So but a lot of championship managers might come to Argyle, not get the results and say, well, look, what do you expect me to do with the resources that I have? So I don't actually think that, I think that this is the best move, not necessarily the person but someone of that caliber someone who obviously does has have a low floor as as john said you know other than the league of ireland you know even even if you could do consider that his first you know serious club appointment he's done a lot of developing and growing since so it's his first sort of you know a shot at a club um management in a long time that's you know he's got a low floor he might absolutely you know mess it up but then anybody might you know there's so many variables and intangibles involved in um, a manager coming in um but on the flip side of that as has been said it keeps the continuity um of the club's um working structure in place um and you know the fact that he's worked with Jews in it before people will maybe suggest that's uh you know jobs for the boys nepotistic sort of appointment but if you've got to think about it the other way, how long do you want? You know, we've, we've been without a manager now for what four games over two weeks now. How long do you want to bed in a relationship between a manager and a director of football and your um, your, your recruitment team before we get moving? So, in a sense, I can understand why people are, are sort of. I don't believe in the the sort of conspiracy that it's you know a scouse revolution and, and jobs for the boys, but you can I can understand why people were being you know um, suspicious. But I don't you know on the flip side, it makes sense to appoint someone you're familiar with, um, even though they didn't sort of necessarily overlap in a great deal in their their working lives. Um, but it's you know it's this the it's the sort of appointment that the club needed to make. So with a with a low floor, yes, but with a potentially very high ceiling, and that's the. Um, and, and if you look at clubs that have set this precedent, this pattern in play and been successful with it, they don't necessarily go out and get the expensive big names once they get to the the big leagues. You know, you look at um, uh, Brighton, you know, they still go out and get managers who, yes, are successful, but the key to their continued success as a club is that they're identifying managers that... That, that that believe in and invest in the same traits that are already in the club. So the, the manager comes in and doesn't have to go out and spend 100 million in the transfer market to get players for his style. They can use the players they've got, adapt it slightly, but the, the players that have been brought in have the skills and the mentality appropriate to adapt to the new manager's um, skills. And that's what you know the club is doing here. They've clearly identified that Foster is going to be able to to use the foundation that's been laid by the team before him. Um, or by the club before him. And that's going to be uh, the most important thing, I think, in getting results going, getting getting um, the season turned around, not turned around, but back on track. That's the, the euphemism, not the euphemism, the idiom I'm looking for. Um, so, yeah, I think that people may be... Although we're past, want, although we're past 9 p.m., we don't want any euphemisms. It is a permanent <laughs> show this evening. But, yeah, I think people would want, a, a lot of people want a big name, but when you look at the when you look at the logic of that, I don't think that any of the names that we would attract would 
be enough to do anything other than keep us in the league. We want to be able to, you know, Simon Hallett's got a five-year plan. Uh, and if it's not this man, it will be, be the next. But the idea is to keep building, even if you end up taking one step back, to take two steps forward at times. The idea is to make constant progress and, and you set yourself a ceiling when you bring in a, a name that um, has, you know, has proven what their ceiling is. If their ceiling is, you know, championship survival, then that's all we're going to, hey, hater, less of that. Um, yeah, if you, um, <laughs> if, if you, uh, if you want to just stay in the championship, then appoint someone who's good at keeping you in the championship. But if you want to risk, if you want to take in the risk of trying to get higher up the league, the top half of the table, even thinking about promotion with with financial um, building, then you know that you need someone who has the yes low floor, but the the high potential, the high ceiling. Just, yeah, just, think, quickly, um, just quickly on the, well, just to quickly pick up on something Ben said that I think is an important point, like. So a lot of people, a lot of people uh, clamoring after Scott Parker on social media. And like, yeah, sure, on paper, Scott Parker has got two teams promoted out of the championship. But also those two teams had massive expectations, massive budgets and incredibly good playing squads. And to my mind, did not look at all convincing in going up on either of those occasions. I think Fulham went up through the playoffs in the COVID season, if I remember correctly. And then that Bournemouth team finished second, so fair play. I mean, obviously, it's not a bad job because you met the, the criteria, but then that Fulham team went down very poorly from the Premier League, very, very poorly. I think, actually, this is a rant I have to Sam quite often, people remember that Fulham team as having put in, like, a scrappy 18th place, nearly stayed up finish, but I think they finished 11 or 12 points behind Burnley. It was just that the entire bottom three that year was terrible, and in quite a lot of years, that Fulham team would have finished bottom. And then he flounced out of Bournemouth or was sacked, or I don't know which version of it you want to believe, but it was very clear there was, you know, a huge... Uh, row over over um, recruitment and budget, um, and he basically came out and publicly said, "Yeah, I need more money, or we're going down." And the club stayed up. So you know they got rid of him and they got a new manager, and who incidentally also had no top level managerial experience, and and they stayed up against all expectations. So like, yeah, that guy does not smack me as someone who is a good manager. Firstly, um, and then you yeah throws disastrous spell at Club Bruges into the mix if you want as well to as further proof of that but 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 you know more to the point is not someone who has ever proven that he can you know outperform budget to a significant degree and that is what we need so I would much rather take a, a jump into the dark albeit one guided by existing relationships than someone who is a bigger name who has a flashy CV but actually when you dig into that CV it doesn't really bear scrutiny once you get past the kind of first layer of, of paint. I think we've probably kept all our viewers waiting long enough for the, the content that they're all hanging on for. Um, <laughs> Sam Down. Um, there, there's George's comment. Bring on Sam Down. Give the people what they want. So let's do that. Sam, without trying to um, drop you in it a little bit, but I'm going to, I think it's fair to say that over the last 24 hours since Ian Foster has taken a plunge in the betting, and it's looked likely to be Ian Foster. It's probably safe to say you've gone through a whole range of emotions about this appointment. Where do we stand here and now in the world of sound down about Ian Foster as the Plymouth Argyle head coach? <laughs> thank you very much to, uh, to that, for that intro, Joe. And thank you to everybody for your fantastic comments. I've never felt so uh, sought after in all my life. Um, thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm not Sam a giant. Show, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I'm not a giant. I'm just standing up in a room with, with, with no chairs. I don't have a desk in my room. so um, And I can't go downstairs because my housemates are, are eating dinner, watching the stream, funnily enough. So I'm having to stand up on a tilted back laptop screen just to clear that one up. Like Stephen Schumacher's mm -hmm. love for Argyle, mm -hmm. it is an optical illusion. Mm -hmm. John completely... 
That's John completely ruined my punchline there. Completely ruined my punchline. Thank you, John. The punchline was much like Stephen Schumacher's love for Argyle. It's an optical illusion. There we go. Um, anyway, Ian Foster, blimey. Um, for a name that, well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to the club on um, keeping it so quiet in an era where everything gets leaked out pretty much from team sheets to loan recalls to the kit. Um, they've done very well to keep this quiet. I think Ian Foster, I hadn't even heard his name mentioned at all anywhere in public for the job up to about four days ago, maybe. And he wasn't considered to be among one of the front runners until yesterday morning. So um, <laughs> thank you for that, uh, Argyle hater. Um, so, yeah, I think they did very well keeping it quiet. As for my thoughts on the appointment, I want to say, first of all, to kind of solidify something that John and Ben have already alluded to, which is that, and I, and I, I want to kind of not, not necessarily repeat what they've said, but, but formulate what they've said into more of an overall thesis, which is that we don't want someone who's just going to do a decent job, quite frankly. And I know that sounds a bit provocative, but doing a decent job for Argyle, whereby you perform about to budget, or maybe even slightly above budget, is a relegation season for us because we have the smallest or second smallest budget in the league. So we need somebody who's not just going to do about par, not even just going to do slightly better than par. We need someone to do, as Schumacher has done, quite bluntly, a lot better than par. That's what we need. And if we can get someone to do even better still than Schumacher, then we're really laughing. So I absolutely get why they've gone for an appointment in the mould of Ian Foster, 100%. Um, rather than going for someone like Nigel Pearson, even Tony Modry. And I can see the good points of Tony Modry because he, his teams play good football and he's good with youth, both of which tick our boxes. However, um, I can see why they've gone for someone in the mould of Ian Foster, 100%. That being said, and this is where I'm going to be a little bit more critical than, than John and Ben perhaps have, I still can't quite get past the fact that we've had a triple figure, large triple figure applicant list We've done all this extensive interview process of informal interviews, followed by formal interviews, short list, long list, etc. And we've settled on someone from Liverpool who's previously worked with Neil Duke-Slip. And I know that sounds a bit controversial to say, and I know that Ben's given a very good argument why he thinks it isn't a jobs for the boys or a stitch-up or any of that kind of thing. And I'm not quite sure I'd necessarily use those provocative terms, but it does feel to me... Like, uh, thank you again for that uh, PFC report. It does again feel to me like we've gone for somebody who Jim Slip is confident he can manage rather than somebody who he's confident will manage the team brilliantly. Um, and that's not to say Jim Slip is some kind of crazy power-hungry dictator who uh, devours power above all else because, you know, I think some of that rhetoric has been getting a bit excessive on over the last um, 72 hours on Twitter. And I think... That, re that rhetoric does need calming down a little bit. But that's not also not to say that it has no basis whatsoever. There are rumours, you know, leaking out, as they always do, that Schumacher and Juicy relations weren't the best towards the end. And I'm very, very cautious of a cautionary tale of the last person employed by Plymouth Argyle who was given the title head of football, who had total responsibility for managing all aspects of the club and wasn't really reined in. And that was Derek Adams. That was a manager who was doing an absolutely fantastic job up to his final season, where it all went very toxic and it all went very wrong. Is there a possibility I'm being too negative and I'm kind of assuming it's going to go the same way? Maybe that's so. Maybe it could go another way. 
maybe Jim Snip is completely good enough. He'll walk the walk as well and talk the talk. And maybe Foster is actually a lot more his own man than I'm giving him credit for. All of those things are possible. And I really hope that it gets. But I still can't quite shake the feeling that this is possibly a little bit of a yes man hire. If he does a fantastic job and if he proves me wrong and we're comfortably ensconced in mid-table by May, then I'll be the first to come on and say I'm totally wrong and he's a fantastic choice. Give him all the credit he's due and give Juice all the credit he's due for appointing him. You won't be the I first. One will tell you you're wrong much before you Yeah, well, that, that, that's very true. That's very true. But I, I will gladly agree with them. Let's put it that way. I'm, I'm a little cautious that it's a not a safe fire, because it's very much not a safe fire in terms of his CV. I'm very much, much conscious it's a safe fire in terms of personnel that he's gone for somebody who won't rock the boat too much. Looking at his recent record, it's very hard to judge because an assistant manager ultimately is one part of a cog and the, the buck does stop with the manager. So I'm, I'm trying not to be too worried about the fact that his team in the Saudi Pro League haven't won for two months. I'm trying not to be too worried about the fact that um, Phil Neville was a pretty bad manager of the England women's team and Foster was assistant to him. Um, so I'm trying not to be too worried about either of those things because whilst the last two jobs he's had as an assistant manager were not great, I also think that we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes and it's quite hard to dig out any individual cog because the, the buck does stop at the manager. But it's it's also possibly a little bit of a, a cause for, for minor concern. Um, look, before that, League of Ireland, he did pretty well in the League of Ireland. I did read a tweet initially saying that he he didn't do well in the League of Ireland, but I, having actually researched his record, but he did pretty well, certainly in his first job at Galway and um, and in his second job as well, I, I think he did okay. So he did pretty well in the League of Ireland, but hey, it's 12 years ago. It's a semi-pro league. Uh, Alfie Lewis plays in that league. Let's not judge too much into that. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Doesn't England he, youth. Doesn't he play in the conference or conference South? Uh, no, Southend were going to sign him, but they're still under an embargo, I think, or they're only they're only just uh-huh. coming out of an embargo, so that that's all a bit up in the air. I thought yeah. that was done. Oh, I'm sorry, I apologise. Uh, I think it's no. I think it was it was reported by Southend Press as being nearly done, but it's uh, it's not actually done. Um, anyway, that that's a complete tangent. Um, going back to Ian Foster, look. I will give him full, full vocal support on the pitch, um, obviously from the stands to him, to him and his team on the pitch, for this to say. Um, I would be lying, though, if I felt I would come on here and give a totally um, positive analysis. And ultimately, you guys tune in because you like the error opinions, goodness knows why. But uh, I have to give my honest feeling, and my honest feeling is not the most positive one in the world about this. My feeling is this has a little bit of a shades of, of somebody of a hire who is malleable, um, it has a little bit of a shade of, of a of a big risk as well. And look, it may well be that Ian Foster is the guy with an incredibly high ceiling and low floor. But I also think there was another guy who, by all accounts, got very far into the process, who has a high ceiling and a relatively high floor. And that's John Eustace. And I think with that, you have to look at the fact that his Birmingham side were tipped by all and sundry to go down last season. He got them 17th, which is where... Argyle are, Argyle are now, or just about. So he very much has a proven record of getting a team to massively overperform expectations with a similar uh, squad strength to Argyle. And then when they actually invested this season, before they were stupid enough to sack him for Wayne Rooney, he had them sixth in the league. So I think, um, thank you, Dane, feedback duly noted. Um, yeah, I think that Eustace would have had a higher ceiling and also a higher floor. 
um, there are other managers who I think would also have had a very high ceiling without the slight taint of, are they just a bit of a job for the boys hire? Are they being hired because they're a mate of, of Neil Dusip? Uh, no, Tim, it doesn't hurt to be positive, and I really am trying to be, but I feel that I have to express my my honest doubts on this. I really, really hope I'm wrong. I really hope he absolutely smashes it. And I'm not saying he won't. Look, this is not as if, if we'd appointed somebody like, you know, Carl Robinson or, um, you know, or who, who else can I think of would be a dreadful appointment? Dean Holden, for example. If it was somebody like that, I'd be much more staunch in my negativity than what I am now. I think this is an appointment that has some question marks, but I will also very much agree it is an appointment that has a very high ceiling. And look, I really, really hope that that high ceiling is reached and irrespective of the outcome, good, bad or indifferent, I'll be cheering the team on from the stand. I'll be singing Ian Foster's Green and White Army in the full, full hope that he does a great job. Well, I guess I guess if Sam's, if Sam's view is it's jobs for the boys and Ben's view is it's not jobs for the boy, uh, jobs for the boys, my middle ground would be, if it is, who cares? Like, it, you know, jobs for the boys sounds bad. It sounds like, you know, procurement fraud and, and, and nepotism and laziness and all the rest of it. But like, Another way of, of framing that is we've gone through 100 applications and, um, and and basically they've concluded that having someone who already knows him, who already can come in on day one at this very disturbed time, at this very, you know, sort of tumultuous time in, in, in the season, um, it's someone who can slot in quickly, who already knows he's going to be on the same wavelength as the director of football under whom he's going to have to work very closely and who knows the style that he's expected to play. Like... Is that is that jobs for the boys in one way of putting it? Yes, arguably it is. But like, at the same time, you know, a different way of putting it is, it, you know, it's essentially a continuity hire without being an internal one. And if they have concluded, and by the way, it's not just Jusnip who sits on that panel, right? Like Hallett and the board representative uh, and Parkinson are not there to rubber stamp Neil Jusnip's mates getting the job. So obviously this guy has done an interview that has convinced, you know, the owner um, or, you know, the chairman of the club um, and other representatives of the club, in addition to the director of football, that he is the right person for the job in a field where, you know, I think we, we pretty much know there were some extremely compelling candidates based on some of the reporting that has come out, including seemingly John Eustace very far into the process. Um, and and so, you know, I think there's just different ways of looking at that, at that kind of prior... Um, sort of incestuousness, if you like, between 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 Jusnip and um and and Foster. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. And I think ultimately it's gonna be they're gonna be judged on results, right? If the results are good, then it's gonna look like this was a genius hire of someone who wasn't an obvious candidate and wasn't everyone's first choice and wasn't the name on all the lips, but someone who we've once again kind of pulled out of relative obscurity, obviously within the game, he's someone who's very well respected, but you know, man, sort of in terms of frontline management relative obscurity um and if it goes badly the narrative will be it was jobs for the boys and he was incompetent and i think at this point in time we just don't have the knowledge to assess which of those framings is more accurate and to be completely honest it could go really badly and and still not have been a jobs for the boys hire but just one that didn't just happen to not work out for whatever reason so i and, and yeah I just, I just don't know why this idea of him having a prior connection with the director of football is being perceived by so many fans and i'm not i'm actually not saying that Sam has an un undiluted negative view of it, I think his view is very nuanced. But, you know, there are people out there who do have a quite unnuanced view of it, I would say. And I just don't understand why this is meant to be a, you know, an, 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 an unalloyed, definitely bad thing. Like, you know, if we hadn't had success for the last year and a half, if we were in the lower end of League One and this kind of playbook was getting repeated time and time again, 
um, then then yeah, I would have some I would have more concerns with it. But currently, we are on an, a rocket of an upward trajectory um, based on a hiring strategy that this has now played into and looks very similar. Um, and do, so do we I think that you know, you would have a job with it being a quote unquote yes man or quote unquote jobs for the boys hire if by that you mean somebody who's going to come in and have a constructive working relationship that isn't star scratch like you, you could bring in Mourinho or, or Pep or Klopp and if they had a massive falling out with Juzenip on day two then it could lead to you know a toxic atmosphere at the club it could undo some of the progress and some of the kind of cohesiveness that we've got obviously I you know, would have liked to have hired either of those managers if they were available but it's not you know it's it's it is a system at the club. It is a well-oiled machine. People were not just saying that because it was a way of kind of softening the blow of Shuey's departure. And you have to, when you are fixing any machine, you know, you have to find the right cog. And if the machine is running very smoothly, you want a cog that looks very similar to the one that you had before. If that cog decided to go and join Cog City FC, the biggest club in the Cog World Championship with their huge cog facilities. In the ben, very uh, quickly, you had something to say before we before we yeah, move just, on. People keep saying, "Well, Schumacher got the job. That's fine because he was the assistant, so he knew the club inside out." But it very much helped that he knew Juicenip too. You know, there was an established relationship there before that might well have fed into Logan getting the job, etc., and all of the. So that worked out pretty successfully. Like John says, you need you know p- people know each other in in football. There's no you know, you might know John Eustace for all I know from from different places. And you know, if you've been around the game a while, you you know people. And at the end of the day, like if it doesn't work out, who's going to be under fire as well? Who's been the public face of this whole process? It's been Neil Jusnip. So it's not like he's just gonna. He's like some kind of American football franchise owner who can just reign with an iron fist and is untouchable he is also accountable and answerable for the way things go you know and you know we've heaped loads of praise on Stephen Schumacher for results and things um, and a little on Neil Jusnip and then all of a sudden we're going to want to you know throw shade on Neil Jusnip if things go wrong it's like you know he's he's should bear some of the the, the praise for for the way things have gone over the past couple of years and he's also aware that he's going to face the face the uh, the music if if he appoints someone who you know like he know he's he's a very savvy man he knows what it looks like he appointed someone he's worked with previously he knows what the narrative is potentially going to be the negative sort of um, take on that so he knows what the risk is he's not going to be doing it stupidly just to give his mate a job you know he, he he must genuinely believe there's potential here for it to be successful it's not like he's he's going to get away scot-free if it's the, if it's an unmitigated disaster so um i don't think you know you can sort of say oh he's just given a, the job to his mate because if there was if he didn't genuinely believe he was gonna do a good job he'd also you know risk being out of a job let's let's hear from some of the people who were involved in the process it should just be mentioned that um argo have just put out a interview on argo tv with ian foster um unfortunately we don't have any quotes from foster to bring to you here um but obviously don't leave yet wait to the end of this stream no, then I, go and watch i imagine interview. i imagine that he loves the he thinks this is a massive club with huge potential and it was just too big an opportunity would, to turn down i would have thought Despite it's something along those lines role of a lifetime that every young Liverpudlian dreams of being assistant manager in the Saudi Pro League. Yes, I do exactly. like how when he, we're the only club in the only club in Europe, I think, paying money to the Saudis to take their assets over to England rather than the other way around. I think there's a fantastic irony to that. <laughs> that's that's um, one thing that's well, made me smile about the appointment. 
We'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Let's hear from three of the men um, involved in the process. It, it was confirmed by Neil Jusnip today that there was a four a four person team involved in the interview process. Chairman Simon Hallett, Chief Executive Andrew Parkinson, Director of Football Neil Jusnip, and Argyle Board Director Jane Schaefer um, was involved in the process. Um, Simon Hallett, as per Argyle's statement, went on to say, I'm thrilled to welcome a coach of Ian's calibre to Plymouth Argyle as our new head coach. He was the perfect candidate to lead our great football club as we embark on our next five-year plan. Ian showed a passion and knowledge for the club throughout the interview process and showcased in some detail how he sees the best way to take our exciting and dynamic young squad forward. Having worked with some of the best players in this, this country has produced, he has a passion for developing young footballers as well as playing an expansive attacking football, which fits perfectly with how we want the club to progress. I'm excited to see how he takes the team forward and very much welcome him to Plymouth Argyle. The aforementioned Neil Jusnip, who's been much um, talked about, of course, over the last fortnight. And I think we should also, um, you know, we shouldn't take away from the, the incredible work that both he, Kevin Nanskeville and Reese Wilmot have put in over the last 16, 17 days to keep the show on the road. And let's be fair, there's every real possibility we'd be sat here with four wins from those four games, had certain things panned out differently in those four games. Uh, he goes on to say, I have spoke openly in the past few weeks about how we would wait for the right person for the job. And in Ian, we believe we have found exactly that. He has an incredible pedigree as a coach and working with young players and we feel he is the perfect person to take forward this incredible group of players we have. A lot of incredibles there from uh, Neil. Now is the time to look to the future, and I'm excited to see Ian get to work on the training pitch immediately. Um, I didn't realise we were holding a 9pm training session tonight, but good luck to him. And to help us achieve our aims both this season and beyond. And last but not least, Andrew Parkinson went on to say it was an important it was important when going through the recruitment process that the successful person showed the key qualities required to be the head coach of Plymouth Argyle the interest in this role was incredible with applicants from all over the world and in Ian we feel that we have found the perfect person to lead forward and continue the success we have seen over the past four years it does go on to mention that first team coach Kevin Nanskeville will form a part of uh, Foster's coaching staff. I'm not sure that was ever really up for debate. Um, and further announcements will be made in due course regarding the full makeup of Foster's coaching team. So to go on to your comments um, that have been coming in, feel free to, to throw them in, even if it is just pointing um, shade at Sam's stance and his incredibly high ceiling, um, even if it may not be as big as Ian Foster's in his coaching career. Um, let's get on to a few of your comments. Um, first one from Trippy says, do you think he'll be in the dugout tomorrow? I think given the lateness of this announcement, I think it's probably fair to say that he won't. I think it's probably, it was confirmed today, wasn't it, by Jews it, but it's likely to be him and Nance Gaville for one last dance, a la Neil Warnock style. Um, Darren Drew asks, who will be his assistant? Um, unfortunately... <laughs> Darren, I'm not sure that we have a clue um, who Ian Foster is is close to Stephen in the Gerard. coaching world. Stephen Gerrard, yeah, well, he he that. may well he may well um, come up in up for availability very soon if his his form in the Saudi Pro League um, continues. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Um, Lee Battle says, interested in the loan signings he will bring in if they if they haven't already been decided. He's got a lot of work to do quickly. That's an interesting point, um, Sam. I'll bring you in because the public want you in. Although if you could keep this answer shorter than 20 minutes, that would be great. Um, it'll be in, It's an interesting point though, isn't it? Because... With his links to the England setup, and I know we've made a lot of this about Jewsnip and his contacts in the game, but when it comes around to the fact that our January business is likely to be loans, and we're going to touch on the the Finazaz news in a in a short while, and obviously there's the potential for the speculation about Luke Cundall going back as well. There's a lot of loan vouchers that Ian Foster has available to redeem at the moment, isn't there? And could his extensive contacts in the in the game and in the England setup help that towards our, our recruitment window? Well, um, I, I, I promise the answer won't be as long as the question, Joe. Um, well, uh, I, I would say that I would say they can't right. hurt. Um, sorry, I would say they can't hurt um, for sure. What I would say is that it's surely Hugh Slick is going to do most of the, the, the recruitment, and that's not in a way of. Um, Oh, Duke Slips controlling everything, blah, 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 because, you know, what well, that's what a, a director of football does do. The head coach does the coaching and the director of football does the recruiting. Obviously, it's more complex than that, but that's what it boils down to at the end of the day. So I think Duke Slip will do most of the recruiting. And let's be honest, Duke Slip has a whole load of contacts within the FA anyway, foremost being Ian Foster, who is just supporting his manager. So I think we probably already had all the FA contacts we needed um, and let's be honest, contacts in the FA are only so much good because really you're going to need to negotiate with the parent club. So, look, it can't hurt, but I, I wouldn't overblow that factor too much. I think it's probably not a decisive one, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously time will time will tell on that. Um, Dan Underwood asks, is he any good at set pieces? Time will tell on that. But Ben... Not wishing to I mean, put too much he's 40, pressure. He's 47, so probably not a championship level. <laughs> and he, 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 what, he is only, what, 5 foot 11, is it? I think his, his Wikipedia... Oh, he's, no, he's much shorter than that. He's 5'6", actually. Oh, 5'6". Oh, crikey. Well, we wouldn't want him um, marking the goalkeeper under the, as the ball comes in at the bar. But, he doesn't um, need a high ceiling. Um, without trying to put too much pressure on what's likely to be his first game in charge at Huddersfield next weekend... Will it calm everyone down if we go away to Huddersfield and his first game in charge is a win? It's our first win on the road. Will, will that help calm everyone down about Foster's ability or is it going to take more than just one result for a lot of people who are perhaps knee-jerking to just settle down on this appointment? Well, yeah, I mean, we are a very reactionary fan base, but like you could see yesterday as an absolute head loss about who's this guy. We've had a hundred applicants, but then a lot of people who lost their heads, you know, you try re I tried reasoning with a couple and they're like, look, I just want to be emotional. Okay. And it's sort of like, you know, they just wanted a process there. 
their sort of you know worry and doubt because we sort of have this um sort of you call it like a like a institutionalized sort of trauma as argyle fans that nothing nice lasts for very long and it's sort of hereditary hereditary we're going to come on to that in a minute okay but like so so i think you know you see a lot of reaction today is like a lot of people on twitter um which is probably the most toxic of of the social media platform saying i lost my head yesterday but i'm feeling a bit better about it today so i think you know a, a win would help but i think a lot of people have calmed down and realized look this is what we've got now getting used to the reality of it, even if they're not too keen on it like Sam, they'll get behind the manager because that's what we do here. And um, uh, uh, and we'll go for it. Now, if we do get a win, it's, it's quite ironic because it looks the way Jusnip's team has been set up and playing. Um, I mean, I think the Watford game, some of that football was possibly some of the best we'd seen all season. Obviously, you know, there's the elephant in the room that we're not going to have the same team on the pitch. Um but it looked, you know, if you'd have said, yeah, we've got a chance of going away to Huddersfield and getting the win, I don't necessarily know if... You know, I would, for example, if if we if we convened after a win away at Huddersfield, I'd be saying, well, look, we were looking pretty good before we went away to Huddersfield. I wouldn't put that all down to to Foster's influence. All of a sudden, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer. So, yeah, I mean, yes, it will help for sure if we go away and get that result. But that could have been coming anyway. You know, we know we're pretty um, good going forward, um, and we only need a couple of. Um, yeah good performances at the back some some you know some good communication and we might do a little keep keep less than or keep less than three goals let less than three goals in rather um and then we got a chance of of winning but um you know it's like i said to said on the last pod about you know you, and you've mentioned it already we could have got somewhere between 9 and 12 points out of the last four games and if we had would we be all be saying oh let's give it to Neil's Jewsnip and you know he needs to take over would would the would the narrative be different results do make as you're suggesting, quite a, uh, an impact on people's perceptions. So I do think that you know a win away at Huddersfield would definitely buy him some grace for the for the doubters. Um, but I don't think it's uh, you know necessarily. No one's gonna if if people want to hold a negative opinion, they'll hold that negative opinion despite whatever logical reason or facts you put in front of them. Um, and if people want to be sort of credulous and, and optimistic, then then also the same. So I think for everybody who uses you know who, who tries to to make decisions or make opinions based on what they see you're not going to just say oh yep he's won a he's won our first away game in his first game in charge he's the you know the messiah and he's here to take us up uh, and you're also not going to say if we go away to Huddersfield and lose, lose abysmally oh you know what's he doing he's got nothing he's got no idea so uh, yeah I, I take your point and results do have a big impact on how on perceptions but I think people with extreme views who are determined to hold them will will hold them regardless the rest of us will you know, we'll give him five, ten games before we start drawing any distinct conclusions. I think. If I could just jump in on that one, sorry, just very quickly. I think whilst it won't make or break Foster's era either way, I think a win at Huddersfield would just be the most enormous thing, just for lifting this sense of dismay that's sunk in around the club. And I don't just mean dismay from people not happy with the appointment. I mean dismay at Shuey leaving coupled with dismay at Azaz being recalled, coupled with dismay at the rumours of Cundall potentially being recalled. Uh, it would just be a, an emotional pressure valve being released. I think we've not won away all season. in the. I've not won in this league for about 14 years. We've not won at a 3pm away from home Saturday since October 2022. I know that stat's a bit of a freak because we've had so many wins on Tuesdays and bank holidays, but hey, go with it. I just think if we win at Huddersfield, and it would not only for a win in Foster's first game, but let's not forget the first win since Schumacher left. Okay, we will 
probably beat Sutton tomorrow if this is going out after and we've lost 1-0. By all means, laugh and clip it up and share it around. But OK, we'll probably beat Sutton tomorrow. But for a win in Foster's first proper game would just be so good for releasing the pressure. Because, hey, if you go three, three games without a win, four games without a win, five games without a win, that pressure does build up, rightly or wrongly. If he can get that win in his first game, it would... Yes, Aaron, I know it's live, but some people will be watching it after the fact. Thank you for that. Um, some people will... Uh, yeah, sorry, I've, I've lost, lost track of what I was saying, Aaron. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, some people will will obviously have that bit of pressure build up on him. Um, if he can get that win at Huddersfield, break the away win, Hoodoo. Break the first win since Schumacher left, Hoodoo. Um, and just a vital three points against the relegation rival... It's not going to make or break it either way. But my goodness me, it would be an incredibly uplifting, rousing moment for the club. I think if there was ever a game I was desperate for us to win all season, it's that one. Um, just very quickly, because I'm I'm mindful that we're we're 47 minutes in now and it is it is getting quite late. And obviously, you know, the gaffer will want us all tucked up in bed ready for the big game tomorrow, nice and early. So we'll quickly rattle through a couple more talking points. Of course, it's never a dull week um, being a member of the Green Army. It's never an easy week being a Plymouth Argyle supporter. Um, I'm going to read out Keith Mitchell's question in a minute because it will tie into the second one of these talking points. Um, John, to keep you awake, um, the the news came through, obviously, over the last couple of days um, that Finazaz, um, his his loan, his loan, what do you call it? I suppose loan spell, but I don't know. It's an eighteen months. Does it qualify as a spell? Um, his current tenure at Plymouth Argo has come to an end. He has now joined Middlesbrough on a whopping four and a half year deal um, to play for the Wearsiders. I mean, what can you say about Finazaz that we probably already haven't said about him? And and just your take on the whole situation, obviously, because that will tie into the next question the speculation linking Luke Cundall with a potential recall to Wolves and a, a sale for him as well. Um, poor Ian Foster's going to look around the dressing room and there'll be a couple of empty pegs, unfortunately, at training on Monday. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got it about Finazar's regular listeners to this uh, podcast slash web stream will know that I was probably his number one fan among us dating back to pretty early days last season um, at a time when don't think there was the unanimity within the Green Army about his uh, qualities that there is now. Um, and I think thinking back on it, actually, he probably is my favourite player from my time as an Argyle fan that I've ever seen. Um, I'll caveat that slightly. I mean, I know everyone will be screaming Graham Carey at their computer screens. Um, I was uh, living abroad for the kind of best years of the Carey era, so I more remember losing at Wembley and then going down uh, as, as much as he was not, you know, to blame for either of those things. Um, but, but as, as I think, you know, just for his role last season, and just the, the sort of intelligence and maturity with which he played the game, obviously some of the goals he scored were just absolutely unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I've never, I've never seen a player with us who has so much star quality in, in a way that is not obvious. You know, he's not a Morgan Whitaker kind of, direct, flashy, runny, you know, sort of like scores goals inside the box, except he does these things as well. But you know what I mean? He's it's, it's not so an obvious type of player. And I mean that's no disrespect to Whisker, who is obviously phenomenal at those things. But he plays with the kind of energy and curiosity of a young, of a young player that he is, but with the maturity and sort of game intelligence and vision of someone who is 
38, 39, 40. I mean, I sort of followed him a little bit in Newport, but, but mostly sort of via Football League podcasts and highlight shows. Uh, and I knew that he'd done very well there in League Two, but didn't really know quite what type of player he was, I guess. And I sort of made some assumptions about him as kind of a young attacking midfielder on loan from a Premier League club as to the sort of player he'd be. And he was, from day one, just so much more than that. You know, just like he's just an utterly beguiling footballer. Um, I, I, I've said on the pod before, I'll say again, I think he has a long Premier League career ahead of him. Um, I really think he is that good. Um, you know, last season he was playing in League One and not necessarily always hugely setting the world alight, although I think an injury had had a lot to do with that. But, you know, he's now signed for us at this level. And even I, as, as probably one of his biggest fans, wouldn't have necessarily predicted just how good he would be. And unfortunately, he was that good uh, because I think if he hadn't been, um, he would not be leaving and we would have had a very good chance of tying him down to a permanent deal here either now or in the summer um yeah I think I think even just in the last few weeks it became clear that we were that he was going to be in a very different kind of conversation to us uh in terms of the transfer fee that he was going to go for I personally think two and a half million pounds if that's that's the reported amount right in somewhere in that region if true is an absolute bargain um uh, you know, yardstick that I like to get out is that Coventry spent £7 million on Ellis Sims, who has been terrible for them since signing. Uh, I don't think Ellis Sims is a terrible player, but I do think £7 million is an enormous amount of money for a player at this level, or it should be. You know, and if you think, if you think Philogene was signed for £5 million with a £15 million buyback, and he's been considered a bargain and a smash. Yeah, right. and, and Finn's gone for yeah. half of that. Sorry to interrupt. Just right. wanted to... No, 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 I completely agree. I think that's exactly a good way of measuring it. He's at least as good as as Philogene for me, and that's no disrespect to Philogene, who is an outstanding player. So, um, yeah, so I think it became, you know, unfortunately, more and more likely as December went on and his form just improved and improved and improved, culminating in what I'm very sure is the best goal I've ever seen in Argyle player score in my time as a fan, just for the pure technique of it, to give him the trifecta of favourite and best player and best goal. Um, yeah, I think it became clear he was going to go somewhere else. So then you think about where, there's some, where that somewhere else could be. You think of a certain club managed by a, a former manager who, you know, when they come knocking, you don't say no, apparently. So uh, that was obviously a, a worry and that would sure, have been... I'm not sure Preston could afford him. Right. Um, you think of, you know, a, a small club with delusions of grandeur who are currently occupying the second promotion place in the championship, which is a rumour that I had heard as well. That would have been incredibly galling. So, you know, he's gone somewhere. He's gone to a club I have nothing against. And that's fine, I guess. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if it had to be, if it had to be somewhere... Glad it wasn't either of those two, which is my petty but sincere opinion of the day. Um, yeah, and, and I think just, I'll just finish on this, you know, and I think this will hopefully tie into what you're going to ask about Kundal next. You know, I understand why people are despondent about it. I really do. I'm despondent about it from the point of view of having invested a lot emotionally in the bloke. But this is what happens with lone players when you're a club of our size, you know, or, or a club even bigger than us. I, I don't think we're a small club. I don't think we should, it's not about doing ourselves down, but it is about being you know, realistic, looking at budgets, looking at our place in the food chain. But also, if you want to put a more positive spin on it, looking at the way we have chosen to go about our business, which is we have chosen, having nearly gone out of business, to be a sustainable football club that progresses evenly and sustainably and the right way, rather than a club uh, who has an owner who, you know, plows good money after bad into the club and you end up in a load of debt and very dependent on that owner, not just pulling the plug. And I know which of those two types of club I would, I would rather be. So, you know, I understand... Um, the despondency about it, but I think you just have to be realistic about that aspect of it. Um, and I think also you have to look at, and I see criticism of the club for things like this, which I find baffling because firstly, he just isn't our player. Um, you know, 
if in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, if we had an opportunity to sign him in the summer on a permanent, should we have done that? Maybe, but I just have no idea if that was even a conversation or what the amount would have been after we had, you know, already dropped quite a lot on Mumbra and Whitaker. And, you know, on a player who also, I think, has just massively, massively improved beyond all expectations since then. So, so you know, him coming in on loan seemed like a reasonable deal at the time. And with that comes this uncertainty that a player could always be recalled. So it's from that point of view, it's just totally beyond the club's resources and, and cap- legal capabilities in this case to be able to you know compel him to stay. But more than that, I think we should see the fact that he is getting recalled and sold on for big money to a, to a bigger club at this level. The fact that that might happen to Kundal as well. The fact that it you know, almost did happen for Whitaker before he made himself the biggest legend of all time and chose to come back here rather than to a, you know, a pastures, pastures richer. It, it's, it's proof that we are doing the right things. That, that we, we, should think, we should see this as a validation, not a, not a diminution you know, of, our, of our status as a club. We are getting these players who have you know, previously, Kundal obviously did play championship football before, but maybe previously have only played in Premier League youth teams or League One or League Two. And we are making them into massively saleable assets for big clubs because they they come here and they're fucking class and they get a great football education and they play really well and they get slotted into what is a great system of football and and that's what you know and then they get on the radar of people with more money than us but then you know the challenge is you then have to go and do, do that again and is every loan signing going to be that level of success rate no it's not but we've had a phenomenal success rate way 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 above what you think the kind of a batting average would be for players coming in on loan um, and you just have to keep the faith that we can just find the next Finnazaz and we can find the next Kandl and we can find the next Whitaker when he inevitably goes at some point. Like, it's, you know, recent history would, would strongly suggest that we can do that. And, you know, we should, we should basically, you know, to, to finish by quoting Dr. Zeus, don't be sad because it's over, but smile because it happened. I'm just going to do my my best, Clive Tilsley, now and apologise for any bad language you may have picked up on our sound well, effects microphones. Um, um, very, very, my friends are very close to my mouth, so <laughs> Sam, we'll, we'll, we won't give this too much time tonight um, because I'd imagine it will probably be more of a talking point um, when we're back recording on Sunday night. But obviously, the news is breaking now that. Um, Wolves seem increasingly more interested in the the concept of of selling Luke Cundall. Is is this, as John said, and as I touched on it yesterday on on social media, um, is this just where we have to remember where we are in the hierarchy of the championship and what our our philosophy is as a club, or is this a, a bigger thing that perhaps maybe in future we shouldn't be as reliant on players like this who could be taken at the eleventh hour? Leave me one um, minute. Um, leave me a minute to um, to chime in. I think that's a very nuanced answer that's needed for that one um, for a number of ways. Firstly, I'm not entirely sure that it's all as done as we think it is with Cundall. Um Neil Dewsnip very much was bullish in the conference earlier today when asked about him and he said, no, we've had no contact with Wolves. He's going to be in the squad for tomorrow. Um, and that wasn't just like a, a like an airy-fairy answer. He, he seemed quite bullish on, on that in his wording. So look, he was maybe quite decisive possible... with that answer, wasn't he? And that, that press conference was mm. done at midday. So he'd already had that conversation, presumably before he'd gone out on the training pitch. So Yeah, exactly. So, so look, I don't know if Kundal's as done as we think it is. Maybe there's a chance that we'll swoop in on the permanent. The only thing that's nagging in my mind about that 
is the reported fees for Cundal are about 2 million. The reported fees for Azaz are about 2.5. And yes, okay, 2.5 is more than two, but you know, you'd have thought if we are prepared to spend anything like 2 million on Cundal, we, we'd somehow or other from some um, crevice find the extra half a million for Azaz. Let's be honest, we do have um, quite a lot of cash reserves in the club and that's not a caviar. Let's just blow away the cash reserves because nothing can go wrong there. That's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, if it was an absolute dire case of Azaz is set to be recorded unless you can stop this up, in that scenario, I think we would have used the cash reserves to get Azaz rather than Kundal. And I have no respect to Kundal. He's a good player for this level. But Azaz is a great player for this level. And I think if, we were, if, there, if it is true that there was 0.5 of a million discrepancy between Kundal and Azaz, then I find it very hard to think we would buy Kundal, but not buy Azaz, personally. If we do end up buying Kundal, then that would suggest to me that the disparity between the reported fees is actually far larger than, than the media says. That would suggest to me it's more like 1 million between them, or maybe even 1.5 between them. So I don't think we will buy Kundal. Or if we do buy Kundal, I think the reports around the fee are not accurate. Um, so, um, Tim's asked, uh, have I learned nothing from Bastard Age? And, and I think, I, you know, maybe a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. I think I, I very much have, because I'm saying that I wouldn't blow the cash reserves in the caviar way. I'm saying that if it was, um, if it was, if it was the difference between making a signing or not for a small amount of a few hundred thousand, I think the club would do that. Um, I want to make that very clear. I'm not advocating being cavalier with, with the cash reserves, because apart from anything else, actually, when we went into administration in 2020, it, it wasn't using cash reserves because... We didn't have any cash reserves. We were borrowing. We were borrowing like nobody's business. So look, I think there is a middle ground between absolutely never making any kind of speculative investment and what we did in 2010. Um, are we maybe a little bit too far the other way at the moment? Possibly. I, I, I wouldn't like to say that with any certainty, but I think there would have been a possibility that if advance was within our price range, we, we could have gone for it, I think. So it's a very long-winded way, and I'm sorry I'm kind of engaging with the comments as I'm talking. It's a very long-winded way of saying, whilst we might sign Kundal on a permanent, I don't think we will. I think it's more a case that Wolves have said, look, Stoke, Bristol City, you offer this or he's staying at Plymouth. And I think if that's the case, he may well end up staying in Argyle. Um, and, and I hope he does, because he's a good player. Is he quite as good as his ass? No, he's not. Is he a good player? Yes, he absolutely is. We'll have to see what happens if we do end up signing him on a permanent fee. And yes, I've seen a few comments about the wages are different as well. And yes, that, that's a fair point. You know what? That's a fair point. Maybe Cundall is about, you know, two or three K a week cheaper than his ads on wages. So maybe maybe I'm going to look like look like an idiot and we will end up signing Cundall and breaking our transfer record. And if that happens, you know what? I trust the club's judgment, but I don't think it will. So we'll see about that one. Hopefully Luke Cundall stays with the Fargo for the rest of the season because he is a good player. And your, your minute yeah, has we, begun. Yeah, we've hit your hour, so I'll be very quick. But just if you were to ask people who were the best sort of three players last year, other than Michael Cooper, they're probably going to pick one of the three loan players or the, or the, the three players we had on loan, Mumba, Whitaker, um, you know, and Azaz, and he's the one who's kicked on probably, I don't know, Whitaker also, the, the pair of them have sort of really hit their stride, carried on their upward trajectory. And Mumba, I think, is probably playing at the same level. I think the improvement of the other two is actually to Mumba's detriment. But my, my point being... We're worried about um, people are complaining. Oh, we should have kept uh, Azaz, or you know, it's such a pain. We get these players on loan, and then they go. Well, would we have got promoted last season? Would we have won the league without the loans? Would we are be? Saying, are you saying we were loan F loan FC? 
I think the lo- that the loans that we brought in complemented the wonderful squad that was here very well, uh, and the squad supported them in their um, excellence uh, on the pitch. But you know, the, 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 my point being that we wouldn't necessarily be well in the championship without the loans and without Azaz performing as he has thus far this season and getting his move that we all are really gutted about. Would we be in the position we are, or would we, with the leaky defence we've got, not producing as many? You know, think about how integral he's been to all our attacking um, moves, both in the you know assisting and finishing, but also in the setup. Would we be in the position we are now? So, you know, you have to be grateful for the the benefits and accept that that's what we are as a, as a developing club. We develop. Um, people and sometimes we get to keep them like Whitaker and Mumba. They, you know, we've, we've it's brilliant that we've been able to bring them back. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You can't begrudge that when we've actually benefited more from their presence. I'd much rather have had the eighteen months we've had from Finazaz and then him go uh, than to have his, his loans have not worked out at all because that would have probably, you know, we might not have got top spot. We might not even got a second spot. Uh, and we certainly wouldn't be having the the season we are now without him. Like John said, some some great memories. So, yeah, I think we've got to remember that there's always a bigger fish. You know, I saw a Spurs fan lamenting that Man City took Kyle Walker and now they're eyeing up their best replacement for Kyle Walker since since he went. And, you know, and it's this, even for people like Man City, their players want to leave and go to Barcelona. Barcelona have to sell people because of FFP. That you know, it's it, it. We have to accept that that's the nature of football, and and accept and embrace what loan players bring, and that we are an attractive market for both players and clubs uh, to come and develop. So you know, we, yes, we 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 trust, we hope at least that you know we'll be able to identify the next Azaz and the etc cetera, etc, cetera, and the next Kundal if he goes, uh, and and you know, make be able to make the most of them. We've hit with our loans, you know, relatively well, Warrington. I think you know, not even necessarily his fault that Houghton performed so well and, and sort of tied up that spot. Um, you know, it might have been that he would do a decent job in that role. It's just Houghton's been exceptional. So we don't seem to hit badly with our, our loan um, identification. So, you know, we just we might be in three months' time having brought a couple of players in who've absolutely blown the roof off of Home Park, be saying, ha, 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 that worked out well, didn't it? So we just got to accept that the loan players, you know, that, that they, they fill a role and be grateful for what they bring. I think just like most championship referees, Ben, your time management there was awful. Um, but I'll let you off. It wouldn't be a green and white podcast without me actually, having a dig at referees. He was actually uh, abiding by the new directives from the start of the season where you have to add on more time at the end. Right. So well, he was it's adding great. on it's time. Doing it. He was adding on time from Sam's hyperbole earlier on in the show. Um, let's quickly... Um, we are four minutes over what we we talked about beforehand but one final question then um because ian foster's in the door um and he will be in a nice padded seat um in the lower tier of the mayflower tomorrow presumably with uncle simon um let's have a look keith mitchell asks our final question of the night um does he start with a strong team tomorrow and cup tie our players which may aid in keeping them um i, I mean look, it's it's a good way to look at it keith um i'd imagine some of the parent clubs might have a little bit more of a sway on whether or not they want their players cup tied i don't think we can necessarily in our position as some of the comments are coming through with our use of the low market i'm not sure we're really in a position where we want to be annoying some of these clubs um particularly as we have so many willy wonka golden tickets to redeem this month um 
open forum, whoever wants it. Um, we'll try and keep this brief. Um, team for Sutton tomorrow preview. Obviously, I think we touched on it briefly on New Year's Day, but um, is it going to be a mix and mix, do we think? Because um, let's be I fair, was, the depth I isn't great so. at the moment. But Yeah, I was going to um, say, there's only so much we can rotate, really. Sorry, sorry Ben. Um, just, yeah, I think I do, I wouldn't be against playing Condor, if nothing else, because the approach that Schumacher used last season when he knew Whitaker was going to be record was get as much game action out of him as possible before he is. So it wouldn't um, it wouldn't bother me uh, starting Kundal unless Villa have actually explicitly told to us, uh, Villa, I keep saying that, unless Wolves have explicitly told us don't play him or we will recall him straight away, unless we've been issued that level of ultimatum, I would absolutely play him. And I think based on Ducic's comments, and I think, let's be clear, I think it will be Ducic who picks the team tomorrow, not Foster. I think we will play Cundall. I think it will be a mixed match. I think we'll see Callum Burton get a game. I think we'll see Dan Scar get a game. Might even see Macaulay Gillespie get a game. Goodness knows what's going on with rumours of failed medical. Who knows? Um, I think we'll see Matt Butcher get a game. Yeah. I think we'll see Joe, Joe Edwards get a game. Maybe Mikel Miller, maybe not. And at least one, if not both, of Bundu and Wayne will get a game. Uh, maybe even um, Ben's favourite, Tyreek Ty Ty Wright, might, might, might even get a run out. So, uh, yeah, I'd suggest both the Wright brothers might play. And um, we might see mm -hmm. Wayne one half and Bundu the second half to get some fitness back into his legs. Well, that is yeah, I'd go with that. I was going to say, um, John, can I throw you yeah, Freddie Asaka and see what you think of that idea? Yeah, I mean, he started... Um, against Leighton Orient in the in the Carabao Cup, who are much very better well. side than Sutton, and he did very, very well. Um, so, uh, and I think that he is someone who, obviously it's very hard to know who's going to be in the new manager's plans in what particular way, I guess, at this point in time. But clearly, Saka is someone that Juzenip is very excited about because he's thrown him into quite a number of game situations over the Christmas period. So it would seem to me that if you are considering him as a player who is going to be a squad option who we can actually bring on in games at championship level. You want to give him all the minutes you can, um, where he can kind of bed in, get the feel of the team and playing, you know, on, on paper, I believe either the worst or the second worst team in the football league, while we should obviously treat them with the you know, due respect, uh, is a good opportunity to do that. I think he's absolutely good enough to play, more than good enough to play against that calibre of opposition. So he is definitely, definitely someone that I would start. Um, but yeah, I think I think Sam's right to say we don't obviously have a ton of rotational capacity in the side, but I think it will be heavily rotated and rightly so. I mean, the last thing you want is Morgan Whitaker getting an unnecessary injury against Sutton and getting ruled out for the rest of the season. Right? It would just be yeah. Crazy. To be clear, I don't want I don't want Whitaker to be selected at all. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing him on the bench because I think if he's not in the squad, it'll just social media panic will go berserk. <laughs> so I, I think you should I think you should probably be on the bench at least just if only for that reason, but. I certainly wouldn't look to bring him on unless we were losing late in the game. And I think even then I'd, I'd have doubts about Yeah, I think it's yeah. going to be as much of the second tier you know, team as possible, plus whatever uh, Foster might want to be running an eye over. So there might be a, a smattering of sort of like your Millers or your, you know, the, those guys who are, you know, borderline first teamers. But I think it will be um, Juice Nipple play as many sort of those who, who don't start as he possibly can with maybe just a few that um, that Foster wants to run the eye over. Also, um, also, to be very clear, no one is prioritising this this season, right? Like I would hope. Like, like we need to stay up. And I, I, for one, you know, there's no disrespect to the FA Cup, which is great competition. Really do not care if we progress or not. Yeah, sure, going out to such a poor team would be humiliating, but we absolutely battered by Grimsby last season, who ended up having a great cup run, and, and that result looked less bad than it did at the time. And 
you know, it didn't in any way dent our formal confidence. So I agree with Sam's um, perennial point about winning being a good habit and how you want to win football matches. Obviously, we should go out there and try and win it. And I think even a, a sort of second string Argyle team should be more than good enough to win that game comfortably. Um, but, you know, I don't think the stakes are particularly high, to be honest. Um, I think overall, I think um, the worst the worst possible outcome for tomorrow is actually a draw. Um, I think the last thing we would want is a replay um, heading to heading to Sutton. Some of us are on 79 out of 92 football league grounds. Wouldn't mind making it 81 because I'm doing Huddersfield. That's also a new one. So uh, oh, just let oh. Your objection is overruled. I would, also, every I, would love, I would love a trip down to Gander Green Lane as well to see if you Tim want Vine to. and the chocolate and amber army. So rock, rock, your, rock your tambourine for the chocolate and amber team, yes. Yeah. If, if there are people in this chat who want to go to Sutton, then feel free on the next international break. But I don't think any of us want to go there for midweek evening in a third round replay. Um, overall, Magic I think... the Cuff registered trademark is suing Joe Bell. For infringement. Um, I think we've probably kept people long enough this evening, an hour and 11 minutes. By the time I finish this ending, it will be about an hour and 21 minutes. But I think the, the big takeaway to take from today and this week's news is that life goes on and time moves forward very quickly in football. Less than a few days ago, we were all pretty, pretty gutted. It was like a punch in the stones that Finazaz was being recalled after he scored one of simply the best goals any of us have seen for a long time at home park. Time has moved quickly and Ian Foster, even if it is a bit late in the evening, has been appointed as Argyle's new head coach. I think they've all played a very good game within the Argyle media team. Hourly tweets of various different levels of baiting to draw us all in. And then just when we thought it was safe to put our feet up and watch the excellent cup tie between Tottenham and Burnley, there they go and they deliver a back post header at 8.30 when we're all caught napping. There we have it. Ian Foster is Argyle's new head coach. I think the one thing that we can take from it all is that this is a really exciting time to be a part of the Green Army. We have now appointed a coach that simply none of us can put a judgment on. We don't know anything about Ian Foster. We don't know how good this could turn out to be a real coup. Let's hope it does. And I think we can all back the board's judgment on this. If the 100 applicants story is true, then I'm sure there is an extensive range of lists that if we were to just pluck a name off it, we would have given the job to. However, Ian Foster has impressed immensely, it is clear, in the interview process. And as the point was made by Ben earlier, this wasn't just Neil Jusnip's decision. This would have been a decision taken by the entire board. Yes, Foster may have links with Jusnip, but the casting vote would have come down to Simon Hallett. And if some of the names that have been linked are true, then we cannot only be excited that Ian Foster is our new head coach. And there is only one thing left to do for us as the Green Army. If Ian Foster didn't know already from his time on the touchline as a Portsmouth assistant coach, is for the 15,000 that are inside Home Park tomorrow to make it as boisterous an atmosphere that the FA Cup third round will see all weekend and show Ian Foster that he has the total unified, unwavering support of the Green Army, which I'm sure he will have anyway. And look, who knows how the next few months are going to pan out. We all know what the only aim is for Ian Foster. That is survival in the championship. And then the summer is his. It will be his gift to go out and recruit his side that will take Argyle forward in the future years. So that that is it. 
We've discussed Foster's appointment. We've discussed Azazi's departure. We've discussed the possibility of Kundal. And we've also given you a little snippet of who we think will take on Tim Vine's famous Sutton United tomorrow afternoon at Home Park. Get down there. Give it a warm welcome for Ian Foster. I'm sure he'll be presented to the Home Park faithful at some point. And then I'm sure those of us who are going to be fortunate enough to be at the John Smith Stadium, not many people have been able to say that in recent years, will give him a warm Argyle away following welcome with a 90-minute rousing rendition of Green and White Barmy Army because it's the only champ we know to get behind the team. John, Sam, Ben, thank you for joining us at the lateness of the hour. Thank you to everyone for your comments. Those that we didn't get to tonight, um, we will try our best to get some of the more tactical, in-depth ones about his coaches and the system on Sunday's review of the Sutton Cup tie, which will be in your ears and to your eyes on YouTube and all your famous podcast platforms on Monday. That just is to, it. Just I'm to plug, off... quickly plug one of our um, Argyle Life contributors. Uh, one team in Devon have done a brilliant. Um, uh, James Stables has put out a brilliant piece on the newsletter. Uh, if you if you're interested in the tactics, that'll probably be on the Argyle Life website as well. Go and check that out if you uh, want to want out Jen up on the more of that sort of stuff. Of course, now that we're finished. You can stop watching us and you can now go over to Argyle TV and listen to our new head coach. And let's hope he's given a fantastic interview that we can all get behind. Thanks for your comments. Thanks for joining us. As always, keep following, liking, retweeting, subscribing, whatever it is you have to do to get our content. We will be back on Monday. I'm in the hosting chair yet again. Aaron's putting his feet up for the weekend. I'm bringing you... The review of the Sutton game. I can't remember who it is I'm joined with. I'm sure it's a, a collection of these fine gentlemen who are with us now. And then we'll be back with more content throughout the month. My Argyle Life is coming back. I did have a question sent to me the other day about My Argyle Life. There are a few more of them planned and ready to go. Obviously, the last month, as you can understand, has been a little bit hectic as Argyle content creators. So that is all for tonight. We've kept you long enough. Keep it green. Get behind the boys tomorrow. Get behind Ian Foster. Give him a proper Plymouth Argyle Green Army welcome. And the future is very bright. The future is exciting. Long live the king. Cheers, gents. Thanks, Joe. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.